the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt, brought to you in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. The Colorado Supreme Court says Trump is disqualified from the 2024 ballot. They effectively have convicted him of a major crime without a trial. The president weighs in. But he certainly supported an insurrection. No question about it. It was a profoundly dumb decision and a reckless one. This is a very serious issue. This has to go to the Supreme Court of the United States, and that's the only appeal remaining. We'll look at our national security threats, including the one at our own southern border. It's a total invasion that is risking this country. And over 100 attacks from the Houthi rebels in the Red Sea. It's a matter of the United States willing to say that Iran is behind Middle East upheaval. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Great to be with you. Catch my program each weekday morning live, 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern Time and on demand 24-7. Learn more at HughHewitt.com. And follow me on Twitter, at Hugh Hewitt. Follow this program as well, at Town Hall Review. We will begin in Colorado, where the state Supreme Court decided by a 4-3 to three vote that, and I quote, President Trump is disqualified from holding the office of president under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. As a result, quoting again, quote, it would be a wrongful act to list him as a candidate on the presidential primary ballot. I turn to Jim Garrity of National Review. Dwayne and I were talking before uh, we, we started this interview. Dwayne says this ought to be 9 nothing, and I concur. I fear it'll be 7-2 or 6-3 that there are justices who don't want to be perceived as saying, well, Trump should be on the ballot and this is okay. Am I crazy? Yeah, I, I don't think that'll happen. I think that even the Justice Sotomayor and Brown Jackson... They value, and Justice Kagan certainly values her reputation as a legal scholar too much to do that. This is, Jim, okay. so you understand where I'm coming from. I've been a lawyer since 1983, been studying the law since 1980, been teaching con law since 1996. This is the dumbest thing I've ever seen a Supreme Court at the state level do. I, look, it certainly looks really difficult because, you know, they, they effectively have convicted him of a major crime without a trial. And that, yes, bingo. That, that is, <laughs> yeah, that that is that is the crux of this. And you know, I, I was as I was saying to Dwayne earlier, if the U.S. if somebody if Jack Smith or somebody had wanted to put Donald Trump on trial for leading an insurrection between twenty you know January twenty twenty one and now, the country would be in a better place. We, we would have resolved it one way or the other. And yes. you could say uh, yes, he did, and therefore he is disqualified from the ballot. Or you'd say, no, he was pressed. He was brought up on those charges, made a legal defense. The jury found the other way and you would not. But the idea of the Colorado Supreme Court saying, mm, yeah, OK, I think he did commit this crime uh, and thus he's not allowed on the ballot. And we're, you know, I assume if you're not on the primary ballot, you're not on the general election ballot. So and to do this, by the way, like we are T minus three weeks from the Iowa caucuses. Right. Like if they're really like, again, I think the Supreme Court's going to shake out the way you think it is. You, I'll, I'll, I'll trust your judgment on that. 
Um, but if there was any risk that the Supreme Court was going to say, no, you're right, you can keep them off the ballot. Why? Like, this is the sort of information the Republican primary ought to have well before they begin the process of nominating their their uh, the process, particularly when the guys ahead by 50 or 60 points. Well, I'm not getting you know, into the recklessness of it. It is so profoundly reckless yeah. and detrimental to democracy. That's a separate category of criticism. This is just dumb because you, you got to the heart right. of the matter. There is an insurrection statute. I, I had printed it out, but I threw it away that Jack Smith chose not to charge Donald Trump with because of something called the Brandenburg test that would protect the president's speech on the mall. So he went with this elaborate and I think constitutionally invalid theory of interference with the federal election process. But we haven't gone to trial on that. And we may never go to trial on that because I think that's constitutionally imperfect. But the idea that they can just throw a dart and say convicted of insurrection, you're out. It's so reckless, but it's just so dumb. So let's go to reckless. I think they guaranteed the nomination of Donald Trump, didn't they? Well, it was looking pretty high as is. Um, this, you know, when, when Trump says they're out to get me, this will look like a uh, further evidence of that. And again, you know, Trump says election interference, and he applies it to everything. He applies it to the media. He applies it to all kinds of. But in this case, courts looking at it and saying, "Well, sorry, you're, you're <coughs> excuse me, you're, you're not uh, eligible for the presidency." You haven't been put on trial. You haven't been convicted. But we've just decided that. Yeah, that does look like this. This is a profoundly dumb decision by Colorado's highest court. And yet the president of the United States seems to be all on board with the idea. Is Trump an insurrectionist, sir? Well, I think it's self-evident. You saw it all. Now, whether the 14th Amendment applies or let the court make that decision. But he certainly supported an insurrection. No question about it. None. Zero. And uh, he seems to be doubling down on about everything. Anyway. But that does not include me. I believe it's a dangerous decision. Very, very destructive of the rule of law. We turn now to Judge Andrew Napolitano. He joined Joe Piscopo on AM 970, The Answer, in New York City. Hey, hey Judge, what, you know, like Trump, hate Trump, what's going on in Colorado? How did that unfold? Could you walk us through that, Judge Napolitano, well, please? You know it happened a little below the radar, but there was a trial in a trial court in Colorado in which uh, Trump participated, not personally, but through his lawyers. And candidly, I don't think he or his lawyers took it seriously. Ah, it's just Colorado. Who cares what happens out there? Uh, so there actually was testimony. There were, were dozens and dozens of people who testified, eyewitnesses and legal scholars, about whether or not uh, Donald Trump's words on January 6th constituted support of an insurrection. Now, I happen to think uh, the outcome of that trial was profoundly unjust. However, it was a trial on the merits. Uh, there was evidence to support what the judge found. But the judge found that the 14th Amendment, which excludes you from running for office if you've taken an oath of loyalty to the Constitution and then supported an insurrection, yeah. did not apply to the presidency because the presidency is too important an office and that should be decided by the people. I wish that that were the law. Colorado Supreme Court said, no, it does apply to the presidency and your findings, Judge Wallace, the judge in the trial court, Mm -hmm. uh, are sound and well-grounded, so we're going to keep them off the ballot. Now, this is a very serious issue. This has to go to the Supreme Court of the United States, and that's the only appeal remaining. If the Supreme Court of the United States, Joe, 
yeah. declines to hear this or upholds it, Donald Trump can never be president of the United States because these states will find ways to keep his name off the ballot. If the Supreme Court of the United States hears this and reverses it, then the people will decide who they want to be uh, president uh, of the United States. Here's why it's unfair uh, to him. The, the 14th Amendment says whoever did this, whoever supported an insurrection after they had taken an oath of uh, office. But it doesn't lay down what standards of proof. It doesn't say lay down who makes this decision. Is this decision made on what newspapers and mm-hmm. social media said you did? Or is it based on an actual prosecution view? Donald Trump has never even been charged with supporting an insurrection. And yet this trial judge in Colorado found somehow that he did do that. So I think the Supreme Court of the United States will take this case right away because the primaries are coming up. I will uh, will uh, reverse the Colorado Supreme Court decision and the people will decide who they want on their ballot, not judges. Concurrent with the legal and political turmoil that no doubt will carry us through to Election Day, our nation has some very serious national security issues. We'll start with our border, where we are seeing an unprecedented number of encounters, 10,000, 12,000 people every day. It is unsustainable. Todd Starnes turned to South Carolina Representative Ralph Norman on his podcast. So, Congressman, a lot going on, and uh, I want to start with uh, the big topic of discussion, and a lot of our listeners are very concerned about this recent border surge. Fox News reporting over 12,000 illegals encountered just yesterday. What the heck is going on down there? Well, Todd, we've been invaded. Uh, It's interesting. I just had a text this morning from a Delta pilot who is from my area and said, Congressman Norman, who is raising the question with TSA? Who is verifying the hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people that we're shipping all over this country who have no form of bona fide driver's license, no form of, of identification? Who, who is asking that question? And I wrote him back and said, you're exactly right. We're going to raise the, the, I guess, ring the bells for that question, and ultimately it's under the under Mayorkas, who is a total, complete sellout. But, but to answer your question, Todd, we're being invaded, and it's a his text to me as a pilot showed concern on his part because he's in the in the cockpit, being put at risk. Uh, taking people who he, he who basically have no verification when TSA uh, is running all of us through the ringer. I just got back late last night uh, from St. Thomas where I had a speech for, for Haley and a group of others. But, I mean, what they put us through, and we're bona fide Americans with valid driver's license, various, you know, valid IDs. But to answer your question, it's a total invasion that is risking this country. So I want to go back, Congressman. So you're saying an airline pilot uh, reached out to you and, and talked to you. Is that right? He texted me with the question, who is raising the issue of, of the, the people I'm having to transport uh, through his airline all over the country? Of uh, why, How are they verifying uh, forms of ident- identification which they can't verify because they're not verifiable? It happened just this morning. It's shocking. And uh, 
it just seems to me, Congressman, that that there is just such a lackadaisical attitude about this, even in Congress. Uh, the fact that Mayorkas has not been impeached, uh, the fact that we're approving things like the NDAA, while you've got you know thousands of military-aged men crossing our border, and, and I'm wondering at what point you know do, does somebody stand up and say this is not sustainable? And I would much rather fight the illegals at the border than when they're activated in these sleeper cells around the country and we're having to fight battles in, in multiple towns and cities. Well, it's here now. I mean, it's, I mean, I think under Trump, the last year he was president, he may have had 30. The sad part, we've got well over 3,000 known uh, uh, cells in this country, according to uh, law enforcement, different agencies. Uh, it's here. We're fighting them here now. And it's just a matter of when. And, uh, you know, you have you, you have a president who is asleep at the switch. Well, he's doing it intentionally, so I, he's not doing it. Uh, he knows what he's doing. And it's all for power. And it's all for votes, as has been seen in New York City, where they're being issued license, uh, driver's licenses. Todd Starnes' Toddcast is available on the Salem Podcast Network. Coming up. It's a matter of... United States willing to say that Iran is behind Middle East upheaval, violence, and war, and calling them out and saying, we're going to do something about it. Getting serious about the Houthis in Yemen. The Town Hall Review returns in a moment. As the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy celebrates our 25th anniversary year, please watch our new promotional video based on Ronald Reagan's 1976 radio address, Shaping the World for 100 Years to Come, on our Pepperdine SPP YouTube channel. And if you know someone who's thinking about graduate school this fall, we welcome applications at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. That's publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Israel is very much still in the throes of their war against the terror group Hamas. Israel is also facing attacks from Hezbollah on their northern border. And to the south, the Houthis, another proxy of Iran, are based in Yemen, and the Houthis have launched more than 100 attacks over the course of the last month. The Biden administration is pushing a multinational Red Sea force to protect shipping lanes. I turn to Ambassador Michael Oren, Israel's former ambassador to the United States. What is going on? Is Israel winning? Is it close to catching Sinwar? Are these talks in Warsaw real? I wish I had an answer to all those questions. And these are questions that Israelis are asking themselves. The question of whether Israel is winning is a highly relative and highly subjective question. I'll explain. Our definition of victory is not Hamas's definition of victory. And right now, and I'm saying this is the most candid way I said, we're both winning. How are we winning? We're destroying Hamas. We're destroying its, its, the infrastructure. We've laid waste to huge swaths of, of Gaza. We've destroyed hundreds of tunnels. We've killed seven or 8,000 terrorists. And ultimately, we'll close in on the leadership and we'll probably kill them too. And that would be a victory. By Western standards, that is a victory. Hamas's victory is completely different. Hamas's victory is they don't care that Gaza is destroyed. They want Gaza to be destroyed. They want thousands and thousands of their civilians to be killed. They don't even care if their leadership is killed. Their leadership has been killed before. What they care about is the 84% of West Bank Palestinians that now say they're in favor of Hamas, that Hamas is the hero of the Arab and Muslim world, 
And they'll say, okay, everyone's dead now, but all we need is one last Hamas terrorist to go up on the rubble and give a V sign, and we've won. And we'll start building again in different places, and uh, they got the long game. President Biden and his team have not yet done anything about the Houthis. Now, I, that which gets rewarded gets repeated. They've disrupted commerce. Oil is not flowing through the Red Sea. I think the Houthis are winning. What do you think? Well, I was on Israeli television a couple of nights ago and uh, when the United States announced this operation that was going to try to get uh, international participation in this basically a flotilla to reopen the Straits of Mandeb and uh, Babel Mandeb. And um, I recall back in 1967 when the Egyptians closed the Straits of Tehran, the Johnson administration tried to put together precisely such a, a, a flotilla called Operation Regatta. Yes. And the Johnson administration turned to 26 different countries, only one of them, Australia, said they would do it. They were joining it. Nobody joined it. And now we're seeing the same thing. I, I said on the news, I said, I won't be surprised if nobody joins this thing. And now even the Arab states aren't even joining it. So if the United States are unwilling to take on the Houthis alone, and they can, there's no question about it. These are the largest naval forces, not just on Earth, the largest naval forces in history. They can do it. It's a matter of will. It's a matter of the United States willing to say that Iran is behind Middle East upheaval, violence and war and calling them out and saying we're going to do something about it right now i haven't seen a willingness to say that or even act on it yet my assessment of team biden is that their strategic doctrine is never do what ought to have been done yesterday what can be postponed for a month to lesser effect so we're not going to they're going to have to hit an american ship they're going to have to hit an oil tanker and blow it up before team appeasement does anything when that happens, and it surely will happen because the Houthis keep firing, do you expect Saudi Arabia and the UAE to join the United States? Because they originally made war on the Houthis until we made them stop. Right. Do you think they'll come in? I don't know. I really don't know. I, I certainly Israel will be supportive uh, in any way it possibly can. We're also being shot at by the Houthis. I can't speak for the Saudis and the Emiratis. I can't. Um, I can understand their frustration. American foreign policy in recent years has been one big zigzag. And uh, people ask what the foreign policy is, and I, I actually don't know. I gotta be very honest about it, because one day you're, you're not inviting that Netanyahu to the White House, the next day you're, you're feting him. One day you're dissing the Saudis, the next day you're courting the Saudis. I, I, it's very, very confusing to find. And even during this war, we've had the administration thinking in two different uh, voices. One saying Israel is, is bombing indiscriminately in Gaza, the other saying Israel is going uh, the extra mile, not to avoid civilian casualties. It, 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 it is very confusing. Keep in mind, uh, pro-Iranian proxies have been firing every day at American bases in Syria and Iraq, and the response uh, of American forces to those attacks has been tepid at best. And uh, still, there's at not best. a willingness to say Iran is the enemy. No one is saying Iran is the enemy. Of course. The backdrop to the war in the Middle East, a crisis on the southern border and threats to the shipping lanes so critical to the international order, we are on this weekend on the cusp of Christmas. Can you still say Merry Christmas? Seth Leibson discussed the seasonal dilemma with Pete Peterson, Dean of the School of Public Policy at Pepperdine University, on AM 960 The Patriot, out of Phoenix, Arizona. I'm a big believer in saying Merry Christmas. It's a national holiday, yep. after all. Why would I say yep. anything other than Happy Independence Day, Happy Thanksgiving Day, King Day, or Christmas, right? I'm a big believer in right. that. Yep. Something has changed over a long period of time, but really with much more ubiquity over the last three or four years, 
Happy Holidays being something we've been wrestling with for a long time, but really over the last three, four years, I've noticed Happy Holidays becoming much more prevalent. You know, I, I will say Merry Christmas, but what do you do in the case, Pete, where someone beats you to it with Happy Holidays? Do you then say Happy Holidays to them, or do you say Merry Christmas? But if you say Merry Christmas to them after they say Happy Holidays, is it feeling like you're being rude or Bigfooting them or something? It's just, it's, well, anyway, here, do you have a thought on that? Yeah. No, I do hear, well, and it's just from personal experience, yeah, yeah, because I'm, yeah. I'm certainly having the same experience. Oh, good, okay. Uh, well, yeah, I'm making, making sense, yeah. You are. Okay. But if somebody comes to me first and says Happy Holidays, I'll say happy holidays and Merry Christmas. And Merry Christmas. And generally what I'll find yeah. is they will return yeah. by saying Merry Christmas is yeah. almost as if yeah. I've made it okay to say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And I've, that has happened at least a half a dozen times in this last week. All right, I'm going to do what you said then, because I was unsure how to handle it, because you don't want yeah. to voice something you don't really want right. to be a participant in, and yeah. you, you don't want to make someone feel badly either. And uh, yeah. I like the way you do it. Happy Holidays and Merry Christmas. That That's that's yeah. pretty good. And I that have provides to them the ability yeah. to either reciprocate if they want or not. Um, but, but what I have seen just personally here is that it's almost as if for some that's giving them permission to say that and I, it sounds terrible to put it in those terms. no but it's true uh, i've had callers yeah. tell me and i remember this being true and a few years ago someone told me this when i wished them a merry christmas at a restaurant i've had a few callers tell me a lot of employees will explain they're told to say happy holidays unless someone yeah. says merry christmas to you first yeah and that we yeah you know it is interesting right i mean December 25th is a particular day. Yeah. And we don't have this issue with any other day. Nope. They're trying to change Thanksgiving a little. It hasn't yeah. taken yet. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. And the only other thing I wanted to say is it has an odd feeling. I mean, we, we've known about the hot, happy holiday thing. I don't know. Have, how long have we been dealing with it? 20 years, maybe 25, 30 years, something. Yeah. Like. It's been around, but you've noticed it's much more prevalent now. It almost it's had the effect of almost making it feel like saying Merry Christmas is a subversive act. Yeah. Like it's going against some cultural norm or grain to say Merry right. Christmas. And that's, and that, again, Isn't that weird? That, that, yeah, and it perfectly describes this exchange that I've just described here, where if I say Happy Holidays and Merry Christmas, and then somebody says, oh, well, Merry Christmas, that yeah. it's almost as if permission is being given. Yeah. And in that, it's essentially proving the point that you're making. And I think in many places, you know, I, I think what you're describing is right. Coming up, you are a narcissist if you feel offended by Santa Claus. The Town Hall Review returns in a moment. You better watch out. You better not cry. Hi, it's Mike Gallagher. I start every day by reading through the stories at Daybreak Insider. In just 10 minutes, I can zip through 10 stories that help me start my day and help shape where I go with The Mike Gallagher Show. Over a quarter million people get Daybreak Insider by email daily, and it's available to you at no cost. Go to daybreakinsider.com and simply plug in your email. That's daybreakinsider.com. In five minutes, you will be the most informed person in the office. That's daybreakinsider.com. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Brought to you in partnership with our sponsor, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Through time, many schools have systematically taken Christmas out of the Christmas break. 
concern they will otherwise offend non-Christian families. But one school has taken the anti-Christmas sentiment a step further. Dennis Prager explains. The school district in Oregon is joining many others around the country. In a controversial, like I'm, I'm shocked that they say it's controversial. Wow. Whew. It's decision to refrain from using religious-themed decorations during the holidays, including images like Santa Claus. KATU reports Santa Claus decorations are no longer welcome in Hillsborough schools outside of Portland. The district sent this memo to staff. You may still decorate your door or office if you like, but we ask that you be respectful and sensitive to the diverse perspectives and beliefs of our community and refrain from using religious-themed decorations or images like Santa Claus. Mirthless. Yes, indeed. You see, the inter- one of the interesting aspects of this and I remind you that my video, it's my video. I don't usually make the Prager University videos. Others do. And in this case, it is I who are, am the presenter. It is just say Merry Christmas. It is the case of uh, that an American who happens not to be Christian is making for Christmas. It is part of the joy of being Americans. Do you know that the bulk of the, the classic Christmas songs were written by Jews. That's in. I got it. It's and I gave the source in the video. The source is there. Just want. Just want you to know that. How come they felt welcome? How come? How is that possible? See what these fools called educators. Fools called educators. Did I say they were fools called educators? Oh, you don't think I did? Oh, so I should say it again. These fools called educators. By the way, I just want to say, I'm not talking about teachers as a general rule. I'm talking about educators. As soon as I hear someone has a degree in education, I assume they're a fool. Some are not, but I do want to say I admit it. I admit it. I assume that if you have a doctorate in education, you are a fool. And these educators do the opposite of what they should be doing. They should be telling students, you need to feel comfortable With the national holiday, it is a national holiday called Christmas. You don't have to celebrate it, but you can't and shouldn't for moral and American reasons, moral reasons, prevent others from celebrating it. You are a narcissist if you feel offended by Santa Claus. That's what an educator should say to the young people whose lives they are ruining by teaching them to feel uncomfortable at others' cultures. Isn't that obvious? Isn't that what they are doing? Oh, it is. We honor your discomfort. That is their motto. We honor your discomfort. Instead of, suck it up, baby. What are you, a narcissist? They're teaching them to feel offended. Do you understand? That's what you get PhD in if you take... Uh, any of the ethnic studies programs, uh, you are taught uh, to be offended. That is what you get your degree in, how to feel offended in the most open and accepting society ever made. Wow, I have such contempt for these educators. We have diverse cultures in our midst. So what? So what? Nobody, Nobody has... Ask those two magic words, so what? In fourth grade, my life was changed 
changed when the rabbi in my class went to an Orthodox Jewish yeshiva, it's called, till I was 18. The rabbi announced, boys, it is time for the afternoon prayers. And I walked over to him very respectfully, and I said, Rabbi, I'm sorry, I'm not in the mood for the afternoon prayers. And he thought, and he thought, and he thought, and he said, Dennis Prager is not in the mood for the afternoon prayers? So what? He changed my life with so what? All of a sudden, Dennis Prager didn't become, was no longer the center of Dennis Prager's life, was no longer the center of the universe. What Dennis Prager had to do was the center of the universe. Not my feelings, not my mood. They are raising narcissists and and babies. They're raising babies. That's why they go to college and need a safe room. Thanks to educators who are usually fools. Did I say that earlier? Coming up. Without religion, we are insignificant. Oh, we may be significant to our loved ones, and we should be. But in the final analysis, we're insignificant because... We die, and that's it. That's it. More from Dennis Prager when the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt returns in a moment. As the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy celebrates our 25th anniversary year, please watch our new promotional video based on Ronald Reagan's 1976 radio address, Shaping the World for 100 Years to Come, on our Pepperdine SPP YouTube channel. And if you know someone who's thinking about graduate school this fall, we welcome applications at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. That's publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Christmas is a wonderful time of year, but not all appreciate the significance. Some downright despise it. My good friend, fellow host in the Salem chain, Dennis Prager, is Jewish. But he not only appreciates the Christmas season, he regularly defends it to the secular world. Here again is Dennis Prager. It's a very special day and a very special period of time in the American calendar. I remember when I was... In my early 20s, for the first time one year, I did not experience Christmas at all in the society that I happened to be located in, and in this case it was Morocco, a Muslim country. And so there was no Christmas, at least not in the city that I was, and I assume the Christian population is is quite small in in Morocco. And And I remember not understanding why I was a little down. I, I'm pretty good at, I don't know, is it called biofeedback? I'm pretty good at, at getting in touch with what's bothering me. Even even then, at, at the age of, I guess, 20. And sure enough, it hit me. My God, it's December 25th. Nothing's happening that I'm used to. And that was it. And it really hit me. Wow, I had really come to rely on this date in this part of the year uh, for a terrific feeling in society. And I was stunned myself because I, I was 
in a in a home that didn't observe it, and I, I figured, you know, how how important could it be to me? But it, by golly, it really was important to me, and it has ever since been. And I I I just think it's very special. You see, here's what here's the way I look at it. Life is filled with the meaning that we give it. And nothing, nothing, nothing approaches religion in terms of giving life meaning. Nothing does. What, 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 I mean, look, I think that there are many things that give life meaning. The love of loved ones, of of family and friends, I mean, those are huge. Religion alone is not sufficient. I just want to make that clear. I don't agree with people at all who, who, who feel that if they have their their wonderful true faith that is sufficient to make life meaningful no religion is necessary but not sufficient necessary that's my challenge to the irreligious and not sufficient that's my challenge to the religious it's it's absolutely necessary i mean to believe otherwise is to believe that we are ultimately meaningless creatures and the and the atheists who were who are intellectually honest acknowledge that i remember when i i remember debating carl sagan the late uh, the most popular astronomer in american history and he said to me when i had a tv show some 10 years ago he said dennis when i look into the heavens and i see how vast they are and i realize more and more how insignificant we are that's charming isn't it and that's true without religion we do recognize how insignificant we are that's that's the whole that's the whole point without religion we are insignificant oh we may be significant to our loved ones and we should be but in the final analysis we're insignificant because we die and that's it that's it and 99.9999999999% of us, virtually every human who's ever lived, will be forgotten eventually. That's, that's the way it is, too. There is no immortality in this world. If there is immortality, it is in the next world. I always get a kick of, out of those who say, oh, there is no, there is no afterlife. We live on through the good works that we have done. Well, it's a nice sentiment, but it's not true. And we live on, first of all, the people that our good works have touched, they also die. Secondly, the truth is, the people who really live on the most are the people whose bad works have, have taken, taken shape. Hitler lives, Stalin lives, Mao lives, live on far more than the, almost all the good people on earth. There is virtually nobody who has done as much good as Hitler, Stalin, and Mao did evil. <laughs> so this notion of we live on through our good works is, is you, if you want to really live on, you might want to do massive evil. Then you really get to live on. If that's, if that's the theory that we're going to live by, that there is no afterlife, but we get to, we get to live on through our good works, or through the works that we do to others in this world. Now, let's be honest, folks. If there is no God and religion is a way of reaching God, if there is none, then the, 
then life doesn't have any ultimate meaning. It has it has what we call imminent meaning, meaning right here and now in, in the fact that it's meaningful to get up in the morning and go to work. It's meaningful to hug your children. That Yeah, there's meaning in that, but in the final analysis, this is just a big, bad coincidence. So when I watch whatever religion it is, so long as it's a, it's 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 doing good in the world, uh, I I watch the religious pageant pageantry as I watch the Catholic Church and the Vatican with awe and and a wonderful sense of people aspiring to the highest possible that the that the human can aspire to. It touches me deeply, and I love it. I have a religious soul. Not everybody does, which is a tragedy. I think, though, almost everybody can cultivate one. But I acknowledge that not everybody can. There have been people who, for reasons that I I can't always figure out, people I I know, some whom, whom I revere, that just cannot have a religious faith. They respect it. They they in, they can even enjoy it, but don't have any. Something to keep in mind when you hear that cliche, oh, there's no afterlife. We live on through the good that we do in this world. Now, what if you can't do good in this world? What if you die at the age of five? Coming up, what Christians did by taking the Jews' scriptures and applying them to the real life of America has been uniquely successful in making good, including the abolition of slavery. The final segment of the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt when we return. Charlie Kirk here. It is critical we keep AM radio in all cars and all trucks. More than 80 million Americans depend on AM radio for news, weather, and opinions. AM is also the backbone of the emergency alert system, keeping you advised of threatening weather conditions and amber alerts. Text AM to number 52886. Tell Congress that we need AM radio in our cars. Again, text AM to the number 52886. Standard message and data rates may apply. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Once again, Merry Christmas to you and your family. Many of the self-proclaimed elite, professors, politicians, and media, shun those who live by faith in a higher being. In the process, they miss out on a life with great purpose. Dennis Prager explains. Of course religious people are going to do bad. And it sickens me. There's no evil that sickens me more than religious evil because they they not only do the evil that an atheist evil would do, like communists, but they also give a terrible name to God and religion, which ends our possibilities for goodness because goodness will not survive uh, without uh, without good religion. So I have I have a particular anger at people who do evil in the name of God. But the fact is that more good has been done in the name of God in our particular religious sphere. I am not an advocate of all religion. I am interested in all religion, deeply so. I am touched by good people in any religion. 
But the religion that has done best has been, in the United States of America, a variation uh, on, on the on, on the Jewish and Christian theme called Judeo-Christian values. Not Judeo-Christian theology. Jews and Christians believe different things. But what Christians did by taking the Jews' scriptures and applying them to the real life of America has been uniquely successful in making good, including the abolition of slavery. It is the naive or those with an agenda who say, well, oh, all this big talk about this Judeo-Christian uh, civilization, but uh, it allowed slavery. But the question is not whether or not slavery existed here. It existed everywhere on earth. The question is not why was there slavery. That was all over. It's universal. The question is why did a civilization stop slavery? It was not stopped elsewhere. It was not stopped within the Islamic world. It was not stopped within the Hindu world. It was not stopped uh, in, in, in many places. It wasn't stopped in the, in the, uh, the pre-Columbus world of, of, the, of, of, the, uh, of the religions of, of the Western Hemisphere. It was stopped by largely Christians. And basically... Judeo-based Christians. That's why we have, as I always point out, on the Liberty Bell, a verse from the Jewish scripture put on by Christians. This melange has been this, this staggering achievement of this free society called America was made possible by Christians rooted in Jewish scriptures. That's why I am fighting so hard to maintain the centrality of the Bible in American life. Thank you for joining us for the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Catch up on earlier episodes at our website, townhallreview.com. And sign up for a daily dose of the best in talk radio. Special thanks to executive producer Russell Schubin, producer Charlie Richard, David Bouchon, Michael Cook, Alex Perez, Adam Ramsey, and Dwayne Patterson. Let me say thanks once again to our sponsor, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Merry Christmas, and thank you for joining us. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.